Good evening. My name is Michael McDonnell. I am the cybersecurity librarian. And thank you for joining us on the fifth live stream of Morrow and Mike. Tonight, we're continuing our series of talks about job hunting and all the information that can make you more successful. In particular, tonight, we're talking about job interviews. I'm joined by my co-host, Moro Arakaki. Moro, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. Yourself, Michael? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, tonight, we have an awesome panel. And I think what we'll do is we'll just introduce them briefly. So we have Derek Bardnerchuk. Um, I've known Derek forever. Would you like to introduce yourself, Derek? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, Derek Bardnerchuk. I've been uh, IT guy for 20 plus years here in Calgary. And uh, right now, I'm just looking for uh, my next uh, step. We've got Derek on the panel because he represents the position that I was recently in and the many of you are in, hunting for a job. He's out there actively interviewing and I think he's got a perspective that we can all relate to. Uh, we also have Jared. Um, Jared is the nicest guy in the industry. He also, um, I think, has a lot of perspective from the employer's point of view that he can share with us. Jared, introduce yourself. Hey everybody, my name is Jared. Um, I'm the Director of IT Security and Compliance with Salu. Uh, we're based out of Edmonton and um, we've been, I've been in the industry since uh, right around 2000, I guess is when I officially entered the industry. Um, Jared, you were just telling us about, um, you know, your mentoring stuff at SAIT. I, I literally used to do that exact same thing. Um, I think we're both excited for trying to uh, share what we can for those new job seekers. Uh, or those students who might be out there really soon. Definitely, Haki. Sorry, I'm on the north end uh, with Nate. Uh, so oh, I'll, sorry. I'll leave. I'll leave Sate with you. Um, <laughs> but yes, I mean it's it's uh, a privilege and an honor to to actually work within those programs and be a part of the different advisory councils and um, you know and really sort of see things come to light from an industry perspective with technology. Um, I, I, I got confused. I recently had a bunch of SAIT students reach out to me and I actually thought it was you're doing, but Nate and SAIT together, this is awesome. Uh, yeah. and finally, uh, Jessica, uh, one of the most authentic voices on LinkedIn related to both, uh, recruiting and job hunters, an inspiration and in how she's promoted, uh, her former coworkers are out there looking for work. Uh, and also, Honestly, two episodes ago, the rock star of the show. <laughs> so I am really, really delighted to have you have you back. Um, uh, introduce yourself, Jessica. Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica Riad Wallace. I'm a HR manager for a local software company here in Calgary. I've been in HR and recruitment for over 15 years, and apparently, I'm also a rock star, which is news to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say so many things. Don't let any of them go to any of your heads. Um, I... <laughs> too late. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I'm just going to take uh, our three panelists off screen briefly. Um, so let me talk a little bit about why we're here tonight and what we're going to do. Um, so tonight's topic for the live stream is uh, job interview tips, um, burning questions, 
we did a bit of a survey. We've had a few responses asking people um, what their confidence level when the interview is, uh, which questions they're most curious about. And this came about because of my own recent experience. Um, if you watch the other live streams, you know, I went through what I think was a difficult job hunt. Um, it led to a dark and depressing time. And then ultimately I relied on my friends and colleagues. They gave me good advice. I took different actions and ended up being much more successful. One of my experiences was questioning um, what I did in interviewing because I thought throughout my career, I was very strong in interviewing. You know what? I was. I would go into interviews. I'd present very well. I'd sell myself very well. But damn, <laughs> there were questions that I was never comfortable with. Um, when I started to decide to question my approach, learn everything from scratch recently, I took some courses online through LinkedIn Learning. Uh, and man, those difficult questions... I learned to deal with them with confidence. Things like, um, oh, the simple one. What are your salary expectations? What does that even mean? Is that a trick? Is that a loaded question? We're going to ask our panel. Um, uh, or here's, here's my ever favorite one. The end of the interview comes and they say, well, do you have any questions for us? This is a magical moment. I never, ever had questions for my interviewers until about 10 years ago. There are so many common questions you might get asked. We want to talk about those tonight. If you're in the audience, if you have particular things that you've always wanted, do not be shy. Put in the chat those questions. We'll put them to our panel. Moro is going to facilitate our conversation um, as we go through this. Um, let me just say a few words about the interviewing difficulties that I had. When I started my most recent job hunt, my confidence wasn't just shaken, it was non-existent. Um, I have confidence in my technical abilities, but I had lost my confidence that I could go forward and present myself. I no longer recognized what value I might have. And I started going in circles. How would I answer simple questions? Like, tell me about yourself. Um, uh, why should we hire you? What are you good at? And that's, you know, think about the pressure of that on top of knowing that you're going to be, because we are in technical professions, grilled technically on top of it. Uh, so I found that taking a more structured approach and um, learning what these questions really mean to the people on the hiring and recruiting side might mean those were super super helpful so by the finally the time i started getting interviews i adopted a new philosophy and i'm going to say it at least five times every interview is practice for the next one you want to go in there and play the game like you do in real life you want to go in there to win but knowing that it is practice. It doesn't matter if they select a different candidate. You are getting a valuable opportunity to test out those things. And every single time you will build a little bit more confidence just from trying. 
Um, let me turn this over to Derek. So, Derek, uh, you are out there interviewing right now, just like I have. Is is does my story resonate with you? Uh, yeah, it's it's very 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 similar. Uh, things have uh, changed, I think, over the years. The last time I interviewed for a job was like probably fifteen years ago. So things have changed a lot. Um, the questions now. Uh, like you said, they're they're not only uh, how you deal with other people, but deep, deep technical questions in the interview. And so uh, there's a there's a lot of skill uh, that's needed now in order to go in and prep for these things. So um, in in the interviews you've had over the last month or so, um, is there anything that stood out to you where you went in there thinking, oh, I didn't think they were going to ask that? Uh, very, very th specific technical questions. Absolutely. Uh, so if you've done your homework, uh, you should be able to answer them. Uh, the challenge that I'm facing is that uh, I have, uh, I'm a generalist, uh, IT generalist. I do a lot of different things. And so I'm finding that's a challenge right now um out there yeah um i'll tell you um until so recently i i signed a six-month contract and the week i did that i had a lot of interviews and one of them scared the bejesus out of me because um the first interview went really really well uh it was a very senior position um the type of people on that team people i would admire and wouldn't think i was there and then the final question of the first interview was, so how confident would you be going through a brutal technical interview? And the word was brutal. And I immediately, immediately projected confidence and said, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm completely confident. And then the phone hung up and then I was like, oh dear God, I have no, like, no, I can't survive that. Um, and then I thought, oh, this is, I, it, you know what? It wasn't even a technical problem. It became an emotional problem where the self-doubt began to creep in. What will they ask me? What should I prepare for? Should, should I even have to study for this? Shouldn't I, if, if I'm really right for this job, do I need and all of those things? In the Absolutely. end, I never, I never even got to that interview because I accepted a different position. But right now I keep thinking, hmm. and I'll tell you, if you're an IT generalist, it's a tough because you might apply for uh, application-based role, infrastructure-based role, management-based role, project management role. Security. And they will be equally detailed. Yeah. And so you don't know what to prep for. It's, it's, a, it's a really tough one. Um, it is. And, my, and the infrastructure out there has changed so frequently, so frequently and so much since I've been out there. So now everything is cloud. And the last stuff we ran was all on-prem. Yeah, so. that's in, it's, it's interesting you say that because uh, as someone who's been a consultant for the last six years and worked with lots of cloud experts um, and knowing you, there are some hardcore cloud experts who know things that we don't. But most Absolutely. of them have actually a marginal amount of experience. They've tried and failed or tried and uh, succeeded. And uh, to be honest any the the skills that really make those projects succeed 
aren't the rote learning necessarily. Those are required and those are helpful. Yeah. But the fact is there's not enough of those people to go around. No. Um, it, it, the, to me, it seems like when you go in an interview, you really have to project your authentic self and not, not worry about, oh my God, what don't I know? But to always keep putting forward, what do I know? And most importantly, and I hear this from my friends who do hiring all the time, always put out an answer and say, this would be how I'd approach it because you wouldn't believe the number of people who might have a little bit more technical experience, but can't put it all together. Um, and you can differentiate yourself that way. Um, that said, let me talk a little bit about the survey we did, because I'll be honest, it reflects, I think your experience and my experience pretty well. So we put out this survey and we asked people about their confidence level in an interview and we asked them uh, to give us the types of questions that worry them the most or that maybe they don't understand the question. And I've had a, in my own history, a lot of those. Early in my career, it was the soft skill questions. That some of them always sounded like, is that a trick question? Uh, is, is there a deeper meaning here? Are you trying to, like, are you trying to get at something that I don't understand? So, um, we had pretty much equal amounts of people when we asked them how confident they are in an interview saying, um, equal amounts saying they're very worried, they don't know what the interviewer will ask and they don't know how to answer, as well as people saying, you know what, uh, interviewing makes me anxious. I'm not sure I can answer everything, but um, I know I can present myself, as well as uh, an equal number of people who said, you know what, I am actually confident but I still worry there might be something put forward that I won't be able to answer. We had nobody who said they were completely confident. I rock all my interviews. Hmm. Uh, I think that's quite telling. Yeah. Um, and in the types of questions that people that bother people the most, um, some people worry about the technical questions, being asked to code, write pseudocode, um, put on the spot, ask to think outside the box and solve problems. Um, I'm a big fan of making people do case studies and I'm a big fan, I know in a lot of organizations those are take home problems, I'm a big fan of actually giving someone the nature of the problem and then asking them to come in, giving them the full details, giving them a half hour to prep and then a half hour to present with some Q&A. Yeah. Um, that, I love doing that as a hiring manager and it's been very helpful for me differentiating candidates. But let me tell you, when I was out there looking, the prospect that I would be put through that. <laughs> make you too happy, eh? Oh my God, that was scaring the heck out of me. That, yeah. that I would be put to the test the way I would with someone else. Um, uh, you know, we had also questions from both sides of the experience spectrum, people saying, uh, they've got lots of experience, um, but they really don't know how to, uh, express how that would contribute to the position. And I think that just has to do with the fact that when we go into a job interview, we don't know a lot about the company or the role. 
Um, and so we know we could contribute. We don't know how. But we also had people saying, look, I don't have, I'm a, I'm, I'm a new grad. I don't know how I'm supposed to deal with, especially in cybersecurity. Uh, people very clearly worried that in cybersecurity, entry-level jobs require a lot of experience. Um, I think we should uh, address that tonight as well. Um, most people are worried about technical questions in our survey. Only about a third were compared, uh, concerned about the soft skills. Um, I'll tell you, uh, at my age, at my end of my career, I am most concerned about projecting. I'm worried that I won't present my soft skills enough so that they want to select me. And I'm worried that they will use the technical skills to exclude me. <laughs> Two worries. And the answers to our questions are actually across the board on there as well. Um, the main thing, and we had uh, multiple people say this, they worry about presenting the right level of information, the right amount of information in those technical questions. They don't want to overwhelm um, the interviewer, but they also want to make sure that they express they know it. Um, and then in the last part, we asked, uh, you know, what questions do they want to ask the panel? Um, and these were our most vague ones. And I think that's quite telling. This is quite telling. Having interviewed people, I don't think people actually know how to interview. I think they go in there and they either have confidence they don't. They know their technical skills. They're hoping they'll be asked questions they know how to. But really, if you don't know what questions to ask in terms of, well, what do I need to learn to interview? It's probably a sign that, uh, and forgive me for being so arrogant, do what I did and just go from scratch and learn. Um, I will put some resources on the screen later, some LinkedIn learning courses that blew my mind in helping me prep for interviews. Um, Derek, did you do those LinkedIn learning courses? I did on, a few before, absolutely, and, before and my first what was interview. What was your experience? Oh, it was, uh, it wasn't maybe as eye-opening because I've already been exposed to what you have been talking about a lot. So it wasn't as eye-opening as I think as it was to you. However, the content was awesome and the uh, the actors and stuff they had in them. It, I mean, it was it was so lifelike. It it really actually felt like an interview because you didn't really feel comfortable uh, in the scene. So you did the you watched that whole series of five minute little uh, somebody gives some advice and then they do a, a, yeah, a yeah. like a reenacted thing and they, they to me they were also very lifelike and not only oh, that yeah. but I'm like oh I got to write down that's like that is such a good answer, good answer. Exactly. and what I also picked up on was in those so a lot of the people in those courses giving you advice talk about a whole mix of things it seems like an impossible mix body language confidence the way you structure your answer, the content of the answer. And then when watching the actors, I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, I need to do what he did with his body. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's like, Oh, that suddenly made sense to see it done as opposed to have someone tell you how to do it. Um, uh, I, one of the things that I also want to address when we, when we start talking to our panel is one of the best question of the entire survey was someone saying, look, um, uh, if someone asks me, oh, do you have any questions for us? I know what I want to say, but everything I want to say feels insincere. 
And you know what? I've suffered from that too as I prepare for an interview and worry, am I going to sound crazy? I interviewed for a year, a job about 10 years ago. I got the job. Um, I knew someone who worked there who gave me feedback from after I got hired. They said, oh, by the way, the minute you walked out of the room with the interviewers, they all turned to each other and said, wow, he's kind of a bit of a salesman. And I, you know, this is the point where I, I had gotten the job. So I'm like, I sold him, baby. But I'm also like, I didn't want to come off like a salesman. Uh, what does that mean? Anyways, uh, I hard, think. Hard thing to hear. Um, you know, one of the, I, I, I know uh, our panelists will have something to say about this, but one of the hardest things and the most important thing is always being genuine and authentic in the interview. Don't try to fake it. Don't try to, if you feel uncomfortable, you don't have an answer. You want to go and do your best. Um, even if it means looking vulnerable or saying you don't know. Um, all right. So I am going to bring back Moro and let him facilitate from here on. All right, Moro. Okay. So that's my uh, intro. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I think I uh, want to just take a, a little bit of time. Now, I know we have a question from uh, Dishan as well. So we will we will address that. Uh, but I think I wanted to just take maybe a quick 10 minutes and bring Jessica and uh, Jared online as well and kind of um, get them to kind of, I guess, go through maybe their their ideas in terms of how they would recommend someone kind of prepare for an interview. Uh, you know, aside from the questions itself, uh, you know, what, what are some things that you can give in terms of recommendations for how you feel, you know, maybe, maybe even how an interviewer should dress or, uh, you know, the, you know, should they get a haircut, obviously shave that kind of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask this question to you, Jessica. Uh, what, what do you feel is, are some things that people, you know, should focus on, but maybe they neglected or forget about it? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing people need to be okay with, and this is kind of uncomfortable is that it's walking into an interview completely confident is very rare. And so you're going to feel nervous and that's okay. That means you want that job. So being nervous is totally okay. And if you're really nervous or if you're an introvert like me and if you have sort of um, anxiety issues when you walk into a room filled with people who are going to judge you, um, oftentimes it's okay to just be really authentic and vulnerable and say, wow, I'm really nervous. I'm really excited about this opportunity and just be transparent. So that's one of the things I would certainly um, advise is, you know, don't expect that if you're not walking in confident, you're you're a failure because most people are really nervous when they're going in for an interview and any interviewer worth their salt has that in the back of their mind and recognizes that and takes that into consideration. So that's not a bad thing. The other thing is, you know, also remember that, and, and actually I, I've got to give credit here. I was speaking with a colleague um, on LinkedIn today and, and they said the most insightful thing and they said, you know, oftentimes the best, the candidates who interview the best are not necessarily the best candidates for the job. So it's, it's okay not to have all the right answers. Um, 
interviewers, so the interview panel, should not be treating it as a pass-fail test. It should be treated more as an opportunity to let a candidate shine. So that's another thing to remember. This isn't some place where people are looking for you to fail. And if you are feeling that way in an interview, it may not be the right job for you. That may be indicative of a culture thing that may not align with your values. So, and I know if you're looking for a job and if you really need work, that's that's tough to, to wrap your head around, but it is, it's one of those things to keep in mind as well. Um, yeah, you, for sure, dress for the job, like dress well. Um, in the organization that I work with, we're a very casual workplace. Um, jeans and t-shirts, that's just the norm. And uh, so basically we let candidates know in advance that if you're coming in to interview with us, you know, dress casually, because we will. And that's part of our culture. Uh, however, in a lot of organizations, especially in the energy sector in Calgary, it's it is very much business professionals. So be the best dress person in the room. So dress appropriately for the interview, depending on where you're interviewing. Get a haircut if you can, if you can get an appointment these days. <laughs> sure, that'd be great. <laughs> I think everyone's in the same boat right now. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't worry too much about that these days. I mean, okay. Derek and Jared, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, no, thank, thank you for that insight. Uh, makes sense. Uh, actually, uh, it reminded me of uh, something when I was actually a teenager. I had a friend, uh, he was uh, trying to apply for a job at Foot Locker. And uh, yeah, he, he, dressed, uh, he dressed, you know, with, with a dress shirt and everything. And, you know, during the interview, the guy asked, so uh, if you want to work here, why are you dressed like you're, you're trying to, you know, you're, you're going for an office job kind of thing, right? He goes, this is Reebok or, you know, sorry, uh, this is Foot Locker. You should be, you know, probably in Reeboks and some, you know, sweat, you know, sweatpants or something like that, right? So um, I think that's, that's, you've hit it right on the, uh, on the head there uh, in terms of know, know your audience and, you know, dress for the audience because, yeah. Sometimes you can be overdressed, but then sometimes you can also be underdressed. So, okay. So, uh, Jared, I guess I'm asking you that same question. Uh, if you can give, you know, a couple of pieces of advice to uh, our audience when they're going in for an interview, maybe something that they overlook and they should be focused on, or you know, maybe something you know, like Jessica had mentioned, maybe you know, realize that as an interviewer you still take into account that, hey, you know, there's a certain level of nervousness and it's it's natural. It's it's part of being genuine. So, Jared. Yeah. Uh, so I just to sort of build on what Jessica was saying there, too, um, I think knowing where you're applying is is a key part, uh, you know, of the entire conversation here. And that actually starts before the interview. I think that starts back at when you're putting your, you know, your resume forward and and doing the application. Um, the way that you present yourself through the through that piece will definitely land you the actual interview part, um, and and learning as much as you can about the culture of the the you know the company um, you know and knowing whether or not you know they will align with you or you will align with them up front is is a is a key thing. Um, I think over the last I don't know I'd say even over the last you know five to ten years I mean whether it be a small, medium or a large business. I mean, I think the culture of, of you know, employee uh, owner relationships has changed uh, to the point where there has been a lot more, um, you know, it's more of a two-way street. 
So yes, you're nervous. Yes, you may not know the people. But at the same time, you have something to offer. And then they also have something to offer you as well, right? So um, work on that relationship as, as awkward as that may seem, especially if you're, you know, it's, you know, a panel of people you're talking to. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that insight. <laughs> that, that was actually uh, pretty awesome. Uh, and, and I can't agree more. <laughs> uh, you know, that interview process does start, you know, even before you go for that interview and, and knowing what the company is looking for, even the core values of the company and, you know, how they, how they operate, I think is, is pretty crucial and fundamental. So that when you step into that interview, because one of those interview questions is tell us about what you know about the company. And, you know, they, they are definitely checking to see that, you know, you've done your research that, you know, you, you feel like you're going to fit in. Right. So, okay. Uh, I think with that, uh, I'd like to, I think, start going through some of the questions that were posed to us through the survey, but at the same time, as I'd mentioned, uh, there was a gentleman named Dishan who had uh, posted a question there earlier. Uh, how how do I deal with tell me about yourself? <laughs> and I've heard that question over and over again. Um, I have my way of dealing with it, but uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at Jared first, and then uh, I'll ask Jessica as well. Yeah, this is where we get back to uh, the talking about authenticity. Uh, you know, really, it's it really comes back to take a deep breath. And, you know, it's a question that you can think about before you go in. And if you've done a little bit of research on, you know, the company itself, uh, what type of role you're actually applying for, you can probably, you know, like, I'll use the word spin, but you can probably spin yourself a little bit better in, in you know, as you work yourself through that entire set of questioning. And if you even have a little bit of a framework ahead of going to the interview process, expect the question. Don't, don't you know, don't be like a deer in the headlights when, when those types of questions come to you. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, Jessica, uh, how, how would you, how would you deal with this question? Yeah, I certainly agree with everything Jared shared there. Um, I think that everyone should be prepared with their own elevator speech, right? So something that they can share in, in a minute or so about themselves and it, you know, to, to Jared's point relative to authenticity, it, it doesn't just don't regurgitate your resume. They have your resume. Tell them about you. So tell tell them about what you're passionate about and what motivates you to come into work every day. Um, that's that's what they're looking for. Interviewers are typically not looking for you to regurgitate a resume and tell tell them about your work history. They know that already. Actually, yeah, no, that's uh, that's good advice. Uh, I was reading a uh, LinkedIn article. Uh, I think it was yesterday, and it might have might have came off of something you had liked, actually, Jessica. And it was pretty interesting. Uh, uh, it, it was actually on how to tackle this this question. And the article really said that you know it's and as you'd said, you know, don't regurgitate your resume. This is your time to shine. Uh, talk about interests, but you know, keep it keep it to a point where it's, it's short, but memorable. Cause uh, you know, everyone's going to say the same thing, right? Oh, I'm a hard worker. I've been programming for 15 years, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is as an interviewer, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're putting people on the spot to see how, how they, how they promote themselves. So I think, you know, if, if there's something that, you know, is relatable to the job and it's a passion of yours, then why not mention it, right? Like, I mean, you know, you can say, oh, I'm passionate about, you know, being a big brother. If you are a big, you know, 
if you volunteer for big brothers and uh, little sisters, right? So I think things like that, you know, leave a memorable impression for the interviewer, which I think is critically important. So hopefully that answered your question there, Dishan. Um, Michael, I'm <laughs> not sure if you want to tackle this question or if we yeah. have some other questions we'd like to uh, bring up from the survey. So I want to add one little thing, um, and it it um, builds on what Jessica said. Um, when someone asks you the question, tell us a little bit about yourself or tell me about yourself. I think the best approach is in your head. Don't answer that question. Answer this question. Tell me one thing about yourself that makes you good for this job. And that's an easy question to answer with something specific. And the problem is, and I think the thing that I found challenging about tell me about yourself is, well, where do I begin? Do I tell you my life story? Do I tell you my career? If my career is short, I have nothing to tell. If my career is long, well, it could take a while. Instead, I pick one thing and I relate it to what I think they're looking for. Why is this good? Because it's almost certain that you're going to hit on something they're looking for. And it could lead to more questions that help fit that alignment. It may also solicit something from them to help you figure a little bit more about what they're looking for. And so they, if I go into a job about, say, cybersecurity architecture, and they say, well, tell me about yourself. Well, I know that this job is about cybersecurity architecture. So I start with, well, I've been doing architectural roles, both in IT and cybersecurity for 15 years. And one of the projects I've been most proud of was X. And I think that's similar to what you're looking for. Now, did I answer the question, tell me about myself? It depends. I'm all about work. So yes, I was completely authentic. But you know, the thing is, if maybe you're going into a job where you're like, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know enough about the job yet. Well, you could tell a personal anecdote, or maybe you've been away from work for a while. You're going to find something about your passions and say, well, I'm a, uh, in this job. I saw that you were looking for DevOps. I am completely passionate about that. I'm dedicated to learning more. Uh, I want to know where you're at with that job because I'm all about that. That's enough to get the conversation started and you've been authentic about yourself. They're not going to forget you. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And I would say, Michael, as well, like show your passion. So, you know, like uh, because Derek is, is going through this process, you know, like right now, I mean, Derek has already said, you know, like I know that Derek's a generalist. I also know that he has a lot of experience. So, you know, I'm, you know, if Derek's passionate about technology and about, you know, the, the overall general space, I would like to know, you know, from, from Derek at that point, Hey Derek, you know, maybe what types of things are you working on in your little lab off to the side that, you know, like, what are your passions there? So you may not be the DevOps master, but maybe you are in the process of, of you know, going down that path. You don't have to be the master of everything to show your interest, you, you know, in relation to what your what your end goal is with with the employer, right? Mm, that's that's a good idea. Okay, so um, Michael, uh, I guess we're looking for some questions that were asked uh, via the survey. Yeah. Um, so you know what? I'd like to tackle this really juicy one here, which is uh, I, I think nuanced. 
how do you determine the right level of information to give when answering a question? Now, uh, this was not proposed as a technical or a soft skill question. And I, I'll be honest, I've had this anxiety as well. Um, okay, having been a hiring manager, here's what I know. The people you're being interviewed by already have a list of questions. They will take a certain amount of time and there's only a certain amount of time. If you spend all the time answering the first question, they will not give you the opportunity to answer the rest. Um, so how do you be concise? And I'm gonna get on my soapbox here, but I'm gonna let everyone else answer first. So uh, Jessica, I uh, guess we'll hand this to you to see if you can tackle this, this question. Yeah. Um, so typically when you're, when you're talking about these sorts of answers, they're usually, you know, they usually, people usually get stuck rambling on the behavioral descriptive type questions, right? So, you know, Michael, tell me about a time when you led a team and things didn't go the way you planned. And then people want to give so much context at the front end of the question that they end up rambling. So that's some thing definitely that you can practice in advance. I mean, you can, it's fair to assume you're going to be asked some behavioral questions these days and you can practice what recruiters call the star format. Um, so it's S-T-A-R-R. -R. And so situation, task, action, result, um, role as well. So what was your role in the, um, in the answer to the question? So it's a really good way to kind of make sure that you're being concise. People don't need to know the history and don't need to know the back end of everything. Just tell them the situation. Sometimes the task and the action are going to roll up into one. Don't worry about it. Um, and then the uh, result and your role in it. And that way, most interviewers are going to be taking notes that way anyways. So you're going to be able to answer your questions completely. You'll be succinct and um, likely they won't have to probe for more information. Okay, no, uh, I think that's a great framework and I know uh, Michael posted it uh, to our uh, YouTube and Discord chat. So hopefully uh, others can uh, reference that when, they, when they're uh, going in for job interviews and hopefully they remember that, that structure. Uh, Jared, I guess uh, the same thing, uh, how would you tackle this? Yeah, actually. So just like Jessica, I, um, I, so I didn't know. So one thing I just learned was star. Uh, I, I, I guess that's awesome because I actually looked at like the, the, the components of that, um, as well, just maybe in my head, just a little bit differently. I think the key there too is, is to, if, if the interviewer, uh, you know, leave it open to them to ask a follow-up question. So, you know, you don't give, you know, like, I mean, it's not so much about not giving enough information or giving too much, be concise, get to the end of the, you know, uh, of, of the point of what you were trying to achieve, or, you know, if it was a problem, you know, that, um, you know, whatever that thing was, but leave it open so that if there's something in their own organization that they know of, that they, you know, it prompts a follow-up question, leave that door open because that just starts another conversation and should, you know, like help alleviate some of that stress as well, right? Okay. So um, I had used STAR before, and I think it's great in scenario-based and situational soft skill questions. Um, it's not always easy to do in a technical question. 
And so if you're in a technical interview and someone puts forward, um, uh, so here's one that I was very famous for asking sysadmins and web developers is I'd say, can you explain to me how DNS works and give me a concrete example? And I used to get all sorts of different answers. Um, uh, if I were answered that question, I have, um, I have this method for doing technical questions is three levels. So at the very first, I start with um, what is the purpose or the high level explanation of what this thing means? And what I'm really doing is telling them what their question means. So I, in DNS, I'd say, well, DNS is the domain name system. It's a method for uh, resolving DNS addresses to IP addresses. Then there's the second level, which is um, a sort of a procedural um, process level. Well, here is how that resolution occurs. And the final one is an implementation level, which is how would we do that in practice? And then I would say, well, you know, um, in the um, in the standard bind nine DNS system, the way resolution works is X and I'd explain the technical mechanism. This allows me to stay organized, focused, and the best part of this, I never feel like I don't know the answer because I can always answer the first one of those three. This gives me some confidence and it also means, you know what? Um, if all the other candidates interviewing they might be all over in their explanation. They might be perfect on the technical part, but I've at least represented and saying, well, I, I, I know of it. I've heard of it and I can tell you what it is. Always give a shot at answering the question. If you use those three levels, you can do what star does for soft skills in the technical skills. I like also that it shows some thought organization and a thought process. Mm -hmm. And I think I see Jared nodding too. And I think yeah. that he'll agree with me when understanding someone's thought process and how they can navigate those questions is, is helpful as well. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. And Michael just gave me a whole bunch of extra information about him that I didn't know before, perhaps like uh, for instance, by the time he got to point number three, he didn't just explain the concept and the vehicle in which it was moving down the road. But now he also slipped in by nine, which, you know, all of a sudden he may have a Linux Unix background as well, which may not have been highlighted someplace else, you know, and it's not about bragging rights or anything like that. But once again, if you've already specified certain things on your resume, it doesn't hurt to bring up certain things that to highlight specific skill sets within your resume. It's just that you just don't need to write, read your resume back to the person interviewing you, right? But I would say that, you know, like that type of thing would be like a trigger word, you know, in, in for that, in that context for me, it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe we have more technical questions along that line to see how far down that path Michael can go. Okay. Um, so let's see what other questions we've got here. So uh, one of the one of the really interesting things was somebody asked. Um, so how can someone who is not as technically proficient or skilled, someone at the beginning of their career, um, 
how can they present well? And I think, honestly, the way this question was asked already is the answer for me. It's a good follow-up to our last one. They asked, is it more about the thought processor approached uh, or is it all about the hard technical skills? Um, and I think we all just answered that one. Approach is very important. Uh, there are times where they want somebody who's got that exact thing, but if you can relate it to something similar, um, does it matter? And okay, Derek, I know you're here to represent the job hunter, but you yourself have been an IT manager for many years and interviewed people. What was your approach to this? When did were there times where you wanted somebody with that specific technical skill, no substitutions, or was it more about how they would approach a problem? It was just knowing that they had many years background using the tools, using various different tools. Um, it really wasn't about even deep technical questions. Uh, it was more about personality and just fit um, at our at the company that I was at. So it was a very different type of interviewing uh, than, than what's out there. It was a lot about fit. Okay. Yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, when I've encountered that, that question myself, uh, or sorry, when I've encountered that situation myself, uh, I tend to, I tend to go into a spot where if I, if I know it, then yeah, I'm, I'm similar to Michael. I'll, I'll kind of talk about the basics around it and then I'll, I'll kind of build on it. Uh, and even if I don't know, I'll say, yeah, I'm not quite familiar, but if it has to do with this, I think this is what it does. So then I kind of go down that whole idea of if I know just even a little bit of it, I'll talk around it to see if, you know, something jogs my memory. Cause a lot of times I'll just sit there and I'll freeze, even though I'll know and it's like, I've done it, but maybe it's been so long since I've done it and I'm just freezing and I'll just kind of talk my way through it just to see if I can uh, rejog re things. But ultimately, I mean, you know, even in my current interview uh, with my job that I have now during that whole process, uh, you know, something my boss told me is like, you know, actually, we really appreciated that more when, you know, you're stuck. <laughs> you said you were stuck and you were totally honest about it. And, you know, when we asked you, you know, how would you deal with it? It's like, well, if there's the, you know, the rest of the team, I have no problem, you know, asking for help. And that that's a that's a big thing with the, uh, with employers. Right. Uh, I think when they're looking for someone, it's just not a matter of, do you know, everything it's they know, they know you don't know everything. But if you're stuck, are you? Do you have the ability to ask for help? Because that's something that not everyone can do. Because you know that it's a uh, you know it's almost like you're showing off a bit of your vulnerable side. But you know at the same time, you almost have to throw ego away. Because I mean, I work in a job where the customer is very important. In fact, the customer taking care of the customer is my job. So really, you know, and a lot of people have said, you know. Moro, you're very genuine. It's like, yes, because I cannot afford to screw up and then I'll have that, you know, uh, that ego, I guess, get in the way of, you know, my customer's ability to uh, do what they need to do or get something done. If they bought a product for me, I want them to know that, you know, yes, Moro may not have all the answers, but Moro will get you the answers the best way he can. So, um, Michael. So I, I've got uh, a really great one that I want to uh, tackle that I think follows on to this. Okay. Um, and that's, we had a question uh, when I put out in the survey 
so which questions were you the most? And one person said uh, whiteboarding sessions. And uh, prior to us going on, uh, starting the live stream, we were talking about um, experiences doing uh, scenario-based or case study answers. As an employer, as a hiring manager, I am very insistent on doing um, case studying or whiteboard answers. And it follows on what we were just talking about. I want to see how people tackle a problem solving process, even if they don't know the technical stuff. And so um, here's the thing is, I don't know what advice to offer per se, but I think that this is such a common method now, it bears some discussion. So let me throw this to Jared first. First of all, do you, when you hire, um, put people through either case studies or whiteboard sessions or something like that? Uh, and what do you, and if so, what do you look for? Okay, so that actually has changed over you know the last couple of years with, with our organization. Um, and a lot of times that depends on what position it is that they're, that they're actually applying for. So if it's a general technical position, we already have a pretty good idea as to the skill set that's needed. So really more questions about the fit and, you know, uh, you know, like how you get to those answers are, are is probably the, the core. Uh, but yes, there's a, uh, if it goes to for special, you know, technical specialties and that type of thing, yeah, whiteboard sessions are great. Um, you know, especially if you do have, let's say, that you know, second or third interview where it does get into more of a, a technical, you know, deep dive on on a thing. Um, we don't typically do straight out case studies. I know a lot of organizations do, uh, but that's more about streamlining the you know, the overall hiring process. Um, and and that. For a lot of the the people that come and work in our organization, a lot of it is showing the uh, the competency up front as far as either the, your ability to learn or to show your skill set you have up, you know, like right off the bat. And uh, because the bigger thing there, once again, is is that it's fairly easy to to train skills, to technical skills. It's not that easy to actually train the troubleshooting process and the ability. So when you do get into those situations where there is a small case study or a technical quiz or something like that, a lot of times those those questions are all about not so much having the right answer, it's more about that how did you tackle the problem, you know, to get to where you, you know, there may not be a wrong or right answer. Um so Jessica, with you coming from an HR background, I'm wondering if you can uh, give us an insight as to so you know, the history of the case study style question, what's its actual purpose and why is it so prominent? Um, so I'm not really sure about the history of it, to be honest with you. I think that the, the purpose has to, it, it depends on the role, right? So the whole idea behind a case study or a scenario-based um, presentation is to to give someone a different way to showcase their skills really is what it comes down to, um, or, or give the interview panel a different way to assess an individual's skills. Uh, personally, I think that there's no purpose in doing one just for doing the purpose of doing one, right? You have to really have an intention behind it. Um, I think that if an example would be when I hire for talent acquisition partners on my team, I have them do uh, a presentation based 
uh, scenario. Uh, they answer, they go through interview questions as well. It's part of the interview process. And then at the beginning or the end of the interview, they can do a presentation based on a scenario that's sent to them in advance. And in the ca in cases where we'd um, where we'd have a scenario, we certainly like to give the candidate, you know, reasonable amounts of time to prepare in advance. Part of that is, like I said earlier, an interview is not a pass-fail thing. It's an opportunity to allow a candidate to shine. So giving them more than one way to shine. Also, um, giving them time to get their head in the game, right? If, if you start to really think about um, a scenario and prepare a presentation based on it, you're much more likely to be in the right headspace and preparing for the interview. Uh, with that said, and Derek and, and I were talking earlier about how it shouldn't take someone, it shouldn't be so complex that it takes someone 12 hours to complete. It should be fit for purpose, right? So maybe an hour, a couple hours to complete and then go into the interview and present it. Um, in the case of a talent acquisition partner, well, these folks are gonna need to be in front of a room teaching other people. That's that's the model I have. So the talent acquisition partners that, that are on my team end up training the business on how to hire properly. So they have to be comfortable standing in front of a room um, in, you know, and being asked questions. And they have to have a good understanding of certain fundamentals when it comes to um, talent acquisition. So I make sure that that's all part of it. And you're able to then assess knowledge and, you know, practical skill in that environment. And, and you get this really cool opportunity. You know, maybe some people aren't really good at answering interview questions, but they're awesome at presenting or vice versa. So you give them a fair shake, right? Everyone gets a fair shake. Um, and, and it gets them in the right headspace and they have a bit of fun with it, providing again, it's, it's framed properly. Uh, so that's, that's the purpose and the intent behind why I would recommend doing it. But again, it has to have a real reason behind it. You can't just do it for the sake of doing it. And like, there's no merit behind it. So the, the most common ones I've seen and the ones I've done, we usually pick a scenario that's very similar to what you do in that job role but stripped down so that all the details may not be there, but the process is what we're trying to evaluate. And I've often used it as, um, it, it's like you guys were saying earlier, it's not pass fail. There's no way to actually be wrong, but it's there to differentiate between equally strong candidates. So usually I introduce them after we've interviewed people and we've now we're down to one or you know two three candidates and we're like oh wow these are all great maybe this will help us distinguish them um and so they've been helpful there's another aspect of this in the technical world which is it's not always a case study for developers it's often a coding exercise at a whiteboard so google is quite famous for giving their little trivia problems that sound like they're out of a university textbook where they'll say, oh, well, here's a grid of nine lines. Tell us how you'd calculate the, the number of squares you can make from all the dots in the grid. Um, and there's this is really, really common today. Um, the truth is you're being evaluated for your ability to problem solve in those. And quite often your ability to problem solve um, can be accelerated by your knowledge of uh, other things that might not be there like math. Um, focus on, um, this is the method that everyone talks about when you're doing a coding interview, is you need to use the talk out loud method. 
they do not care if you solve the problem, though that is really a really good thing to show. They care how you solve the problem and how you go about analyzing the problem. And so whenever you're given a coding problem, it's not a lot different than that three-level method I said before. When you're given the problem, repeat back to the interview what you think the problem is that you're trying to solve. It's not just to convince them you know what you're talking about, but by saying it aloud, you will solidify in your head that you're what you're working on and you'll see them nod and you'll go, yes, okay, I'm, I'm ready for the next part. Then pick a starting point, take a deep breath, take as long as you want and say, well, I'm gonna start solving this problem by and pick a spot and then outline your process. Don't, even though you're at the whiteboard to write some pseudocode, don't write any code yet. Maybe draw a diagram. Maybe just go put bullet points, one, two, three, here's the process I'm gonna use. You can even be wrong at this point, but once you lay out the process, then it's gonna allow, you're gonna talk through it and you say, well, now I'm gonna do the next thing. Now you're gonna start writing pseudocode. And the one thing I want you to not to be worried about is being wrong in your pseudocode because you can correct that. You're just gonna walk through the process and as long as you're talking out loud. Now, here's the thing is if you're an introvert, if you're the kind of personality who likes to code, you're probably not the kind of person who talks out loud while you do it. So you might wanna practice and on YouTube, you will find an endless number of videos of people telling you how to get through those technical interviews and you can use a resource like uh, HackerRank. So HackerRank has actual interview questions. Not only that, but they have a process where you can actually go do puzzles online and they'll send them to prospective employers. So the people who do tackle those the best actually get highlighted. So if you wanna build your process and you wanna practice doing those whiteboarding sessions for pseudocode interviews, do it on HackerRank and who knows, maybe you only have to do one, you'll get hired. Um, we have a question from Deshaun about, so how does a recent grad talk about your experience when you haven't done anything professionally in software development? And I'll just let you all race to answer this question. Yeah, I can definitely dive in on that one, Michael. Right. So, because uh, actually this is one thing I have been asked by grad classes and, you know, you know as well. The thing that differentiates a lot of people coming out of programs is the amount of, um, you know, even side projects that they've done. So uh, using web developers, for an example, like, you know, just because that's a very visual one, um, the it I'm more likely to go and if, you know, if you send out a bunch of links, say, hey, here's here's my portfolio. Different styles, different you know, different types of websites, different platforms. You know, hey, that person has done five different things. Yeah, you can you know, it's maybe not flushed out and live for an organization, but the fact that they've been able to take it and, and grow it and you know, get to an end result with it is is definitely you know part of that process. And once again, coming out as a grad, you're probably not going to be going into a senior development position. There's a certain level of expectation that uh, should be there on your side as well as the prospective employer side. Um, if 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 that expectation is is like not there, it's probably not a good fit one way or the other at that point. And that's you know at least from what I've sort of seen. 
And as a software developer, uh, I'll just repeat what I said in the last question. Um, you need to be doing some exercises on a platform like HackerRank. There's several other competitive programming platforms. It's if you're a sysadmin, if you're um, in security, the way you differ as a young person, as a recent grad, the way you differentiate yourself is by having a home lab, by saying this is the projects I'm working on. Um, it represents what you're interested in and where you have more knowledge than other candidates. If you're a programmer, you know, one way is to have your own projects on GitHub, but maybe you're not that far along. But if you're not that far along, you're just really new and a re recent grad, don't worry, get on hacker rank and sh display your level of skill in those competitions. Um, it's the same work you did in school, but you're getting real world cred for it. Um, yeah, and and actually, for grads coming out of places like Nate and and Sate and you know BCIT and you know uh, you know especially in Canada, some of these other technical colleges, normally you have some sort of capstone process by the end, and you know the capstone process is while you might be in a group, I mean that actually right there says usually a lot about how you function a within a group, and then b how you get to the end of whatever part was your piece of that entire puzzle right um there's there should be no shame in being able to highlight that accomplishment at the tail end of your you know of your of your um college education um you know and it's well and it is you know it's not going to take you know uh place instead of like actual experience for, for instance, like real world experience, but you've already gone through a lot of the same stresses, the same problem solving. It might just be in a safer space, but you do have something to show for that, for the, you know, that stress of that, that process. Okay. So comp science student here, I hear lots of advice along the lines of show your problem solving process, but never hear much about what key parts of your process will make or break your answer. Um, hmm, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a, uh, sorry, Jared, or, yeah, go ahead, Jared. Yeah. I, I, and actually that's a really good point. Um, so the parts that end up breaking, uh, your answer, um, is when you actually just stop and freeze the, the, the best answer you can always give when you get to that roadblock is, okay, I don't know the answer right now, but this is how I'm going to find that answer. And you know what the, that could be even just google <laughs> that could be you know like some sort of you know technical resource or you can actually flip it around and say would i have access to a mentor internally to actually work with on how do i engage you know as you know whatever tier or whatever level of you know employee i'm coming in at to actually get to that answer um so it can be a that can also be a challenge question back at that point not to be yeah, competitive totally in the interview, agree. but yeah. So, uh, I totally agree. Jim says there's no wrong answer, and I would agree, which is why when you're in those interviews, speaking aloud is your best friend because you can be wrong, but you're still going through the process. And I'll tell you, 90% of the time, because you're speaking aloud, your interviewer is going to be giving away his response, which allows you to realign. Um, however, there is a practical, uh, Jim also says it's all about how you got to the deliverable. Yeah. Um, in terms of the 
uh, EB's question, there is stuff you can do to prepare to represent your process. And there are actual processes you can learn that will help you out. So there is a book called The Practice of Network and Systems Administration. And it applies to everyone who is in the professional practice of IT. There is a chapter in that book about analyzing and deconstructing problems that are brought to you. And they also advocate speak aloud, even when you're on help desk with um, speaking to people whose problems you're trying to solve. Um, I would highly recommend getting that book to anyone in IT um, and reading that process on how to deal with those problems because he outlines a flow that I would observe is actually literally best practice for what we do, whether we're coders, sysadmins, help desk people. Um, it's all about breaking down the problem. And that's why I have that three level method. First, answer the question, why are we doing this? What are we doing? Then what process are we going to use? And then what steps will we use to implement the process in some technology? And if you like, so if you're worried about, so you're telling me show my process, what process should I use? That's it. And, and if you want to get more formal, go read that book. I'll put that up on the screen in a moment. I think um, if you don't mind me jumping in here, something to, to keep in mind too is, you know, and Jared brought up a really, really good point relative to you're, if you're interviewing as a new grad, the expectation is that you're not going to know everything. And, you know, I think everybody talked a little bit about, you know, figuring out how you're going to find the answer. So if you may not be able to say, give the answer, um, but if you can say that you're resourceful, if you can demonstrate that you're resourceful and, you know, if I can't find the answer, I would connect with this community or this group of folks of this professional network and ask them, or I would, you know, like, oh my God, Jared, your cat is killing me. She's so cute. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. Can she be the new mascot guys? Um, but yeah. So, <laughs> um, Anyways, just showing that you're resourceful, right? And that you'll hunt down the answer, right? You may not know it off the top of your head. Nobody knows everything off the top of their head. I Google all the time, right? There's nothing right. wrong with that. That's right. Google foo. It's a skill. So we just got another question from Alex. Uh, if you're a student, is it better to start off your career more of software engineering or programming field and then try to move into cybersecurity? Or can you make your way more directly? Honestly, I expect in the survey to hear uh, more about this. It's something that people uh, in between our live streams have talked to us about, which is uh, the challenge of new grads, even coming out of cybersecurity programs, finding out that um, a lot of jobs say, well, an entry-level cybersecurity job requires five years of experience. Um, so let me, I'm going to answer this one very briefly and then let others, and I know there's a few people in our audience watching tonight that have opinions about this. Um, please feel free to uh, put your question down in the chat as well. Uh, there is no wrong background to begin in cybersecurity. Um, there are many, many, many roles. They can come from a network background. They can become from a sysadmin background. You can be a programmer. Uh, 
cybersecurity is a very diverse field. The one thing you want to do is find out what you're either passionate about as a recent grad or where your strength is and apply for the cybersecurity jobs of that area. If you like programming, you might want to look for jobs that mention OWASP or web application security. Um, if you are a systems admin or you like OSs, you might want to look for um, jobs that are about server or cloud security. And if you're a network person, you might want to look for things that are about um, proxies, load balancers, and firewalls. It, look for the keywords that are in your area. Um, uh, Derek, I'm sure this has come up for you as well. Your team was pretty well balanced generalists. You were sysadmins, but you were really strong in security. What's your feeling on this? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you can focus on anything and be and move up into cybersecurity. Um, we focused on even on desktop. If you get really good at desktop, you can still get right back into cybersecurity. There's a lot to learn uh, these days on the desktop side. Um, so they're, they're, the future is really what uh, what paths do you want to go down, and what are you happiest uh, to go down that path? It, so it's it's really an open world uh, right now. The hardest part is just getting those interviews, and then getting, <laughs> getting uh, after that. Uh, that that's the tough part. But we all have to keep positive, and I think that uh, knowing what you're good at and what uh, it, uh, motivates you is uh, is really um, key to this point. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I guess my comments around this are. If cybersecurity is what you're interested in, just dive in. I mean, honestly, this industry is short on skilled, I, you know, not just skilled IT, but uh, especially uh, skilled cybersecurity. So I feel like, you know, as Michael said, if there is something that you know you are passionate about that you gravitate more towards than anything, go, you know, 100% with it. Uh, you, you can't go wrong. Um, and then, you know, in terms of what Michael said, yes, you know, a lot of a lot of job descriptions might say uh, we want someone with, you know, five years of experience as an entry level cybersecurity uh, specialist. But uh, and I'll go and I'll go to this uh, a bit more in depth, uh, maybe in a different uh, live stream. But and I'm hoping that I'm not mansplaining it. I'm not trying to mansplain this. This is something I actually read as an article. But in a lot of cases, uh, they were talking about people that will wait to apply for a job. Uh, because they're not quite qualified. Like, let's say, you know, out of a list of 10 qualifications that, you know, they're looking for, you may only meet half of them. But the reality is that, you know, and again, I'm not trying to mansplain this, females apparently are very bad at this. They will look at it and they will say, oh, you know what, I, I want that job. I really want that job. But I don't, I don't meet, you know, I only meet seven out of 10. So I'm going to, I'm going to train up so that, you know, when that job comes up again, I will be 10 out of 10. But the reality is that, you know, not all candidates are going to be 10 out of 10. Uh, you know, it's it's literally, you know, and again, Michael mentions this as unicorn hunting, and it is true. Uh, a lot of places will try and, you know, get the best talent they can. But the reality is, is that, you know, no, no one person is going to fit every one of those skill sets. So keep that in mind. Even though you're a new grad, it doesn't mean that you don't have the passion, you don't have the skill or, you know, the, the ability to become what they need. So I would say that, you know, for Alex and even for Dishan, 
you know, find something, find something that's going to give you that skill. For Dishan, I was going to say, you know, maybe, maybe go online and uh, create some uh, mobile phone apps or something like that. Maybe they don't sell. I don't know. You give it away for free on the Play Store, but at least it's a project. It's a side hustle, and you can prove that you're passionate about programming. Um, and for Alex, again, yeah, cybersecurity. Just dive in. You know, start reading articles about cybersecurity. Get into understanding the lingo. Get under, you know, get a, get into the fold and understanding, you know, what vulnerabilities are out there, things of that nature, right? And uh, yeah, you'll start to realize that, oh yeah, you know a lot more than you used to. And when you start talking in the interview, that 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 passion will uh, come out. So, in cybersecurity, we're all up against the fact that there's a deficiency in the way. Uh, organizations hire and seek out talent. We're all up against that. Even with a ton of experience or no experience, um, the unicorn hunt, et cetera. We are at an advantage, however, that so much of our profession is done openly through open source, um, through open projects, through lots of free training platforms. And so one of the best things you can do is exactly what Moro said is just dive in the areas you're interested in. Maybe it's participating in an open project. Maybe it's, uh, for instance, for penetration testers, it's participating in hack the box, but going one step further and sharing your public experience. Um, I know a few people that share that on LinkedIn. They have a blog, they're on another social media platform where they're engaging in other people doing the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're good at it or not. It matters that you're engaged. And once you're engaged, those strengths are going to show through and you're going to develop them more. So it's not about where you start. There's no one career path to start that's best. There's no best place to start. All you can do is start. And um, I would say uh, to reinforce what uh, Maura was saying about imposter syndrome, it's very strong in cybersecurity. We all suffer from that begin before you're ready just start you don't have to wait till you're ready no one's going to give you permission <laughs> exactly um, so just pick something you're interested you don't have to be good at it it doesn't have to be the right thing it's just to begin absolutely um oh there we go so dishan uh so he's asking about the uh the salary question the salary expectation oh question. yeah 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 and i was gonna bring it up anyways because i feel like you know this and another question are the ones that i feel people stumble on so um to our panelists uh especially jessica <laughs> uh how would someone handle this because i mean even i kind of don't really know i i kind of i kind of fumble this a lot right so yeah. What does this um, question really mean? <laughs> uh, this means, can we afford you? Ah, uh, okay. There's the secret. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, typically, you know, what are your salary expectations? It, it's a difficult question to answer, and sometimes people are more comfortable giving a range. I certainly would, um, if you're not comfortable answering the question, uh, that's okay too. If you're, if, if it was already asked in, in the application process, you know, you could say, oh, you know what, I answered in the application, it should be on there. Uh, but if you have any other follow-up questions, you're welcome to flip me an email. That's fine too. Um, oh boy, people are going to hate me for saying this. So on behalf of the entire HR community, I'm going to apologize right now because I'm, <laughs> I'm about to give out a trade secret. <laughs> okay. So, um, a really good way 
to flip things around is if Michael, why don't you ask me, what are your salary expectations? Jessica, what are your salary expectations for this role? Michael, that's such a good question. What are your, what's your salary range for it? That is the, Flip yes. it right back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and to be fair, to be fair, so, I teach people the opposite too, where if a candidate asks, what's the salary range to flip it back and just say, good question, what are your salary expectations? <laughs> so we could go around in circles for a while. <laughs> so I, let me tell you a couple ways not to answer this question. Um, don't get defensive. Don't assume too much. Don't make up a story in your head about what it really means. And if you're not comfortable answering it, it doesn't matter if you stammer. It doesn't matter if you stumble over it. It doesn't matter if you sound like a fool. And I say all these because I've done all of them. Um, <laughs> it's what you don't want to do because I uh, myself, I felt quite defensive in, in this question before going, what do you mean? You don't know what your job pays? Like, come on. All right. And let, uh, I'll tell you the bad side of this. Uh, Jessica, um, having been a hiring manager, worked along with HR partners. I once had an HR partner tell me, um, look, uh, we have to have an answer from that at uh, before the end of the first interview, because if their expectations are too high, we cannot hire them. Doesn't matter how much you want them. We won't even negotiate with them. And I've had that same person tell me, uh, if it's too low, they probably don't know their value and we don't want to hire them. And to which I said to that HR partner, uh, I think I'll do the deciding on who we're going to hire for our team and who we're going to negotiate yeah. with. Yeah. And you might be making up stories in your head that HR people or the interviewers are like, this is some magic question. If you answer wrong, it's not going to work out. Poppycock. Even though I've had that negative experience, that's rare. That's not really what's going on. And it's not going to hold you back. Um, yeah. You know, giving a salary range, like I, from someone in HR who's done a lot of pre-screen phone calls, who's done a ton of interviews, um, I really like it when someone's transparent. Now, I'm not asking someone to say, well, currently I'm making X, Y, Z. What I really like is someone who gives a reasonable range, you know, and says, I don't I mean, let's just say 50 to 65,000 a year. And then they say something along the lines of, but everything's negotiable. It would depend on the entire compensation package because anyone who's spent any time in a career or in a job knows that, that compensation is so much more than just that bottom line salary. It's benefits, it's time off. It's, you know, do they have a retirement matching program? Do they have education reimbursement? You know, so it really depends on what your values are. If you're all about the dollars for the bottom line, that's one thing. Me personally, it has to be a balance, right? So definitely acknowledging that compensation is so much more than the bottom line. You know, I've, I've, I'm pretty transparent when it comes to that question whenever I've been a candidate. And I, I, I'll just say, listen, I've got a mortgage to pay. So this is sort of where my bottom line is. However, I'm negotiable depending on different factors. So I need to understand the whole, you know, the entire package and, and offering. With that said, you know, you certainly don't want to price yourself out. So you do have to let people know you're open to negotiate. So one of the, one of the um, 
one of the pieces of interior logic about why this is um, so common for organizations to ask is because in many professions, there are well-known salary ranges and they're trying to establish where you think you are in that. Now, if you're an accountant or project manager or an engineer, it, it's actually fairly easy for you to figure out what those ranges are. Unfortunately, in IT and especially cybersecurity, cybersecurity pays on the low end really low and on the high end really high. And you have no idea from organization to organization what they pay. And if you're in Canada, the salary guides available to us aren't that accurate. In the States, you mm -hmm. can get these numbers quite easily. Um, so the best answer, and the one if you take some LinkedIn uh, learning courses, they'll tell you, go out and do your research and find out what the range is for that type of role and that seniority level, and then just give them that range. And that says, I belong here. Um, and you won't underprice yourself or overprice yourself. But the reality is that advice doesn't work as well in cybersecurity as it does in other professions. Um, I have used those answers in interviews before and usually gotten fairly good feedback going with just a quick nod going, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, the other answer I've given is, um, so what's the mid-range between the top and end and the high end of what you're willing to offer? I think somewhere in there is fine. And <laughs> like, let's face it, that's what they're looking to hear is that you're priced somewhere in their mid-range, but you don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, I find in BC, a lot of jobs actually put their range on. And not only that, they don't just put the range the job will pay, but the range that they're willing to hire in. And that actually eliminates the need for the question because anyone who's pricing themselves out of that category won't apply. I think so, we should um, be doing that here. Something to add to what Michael's saying in terms of research. I find usually the best source of information are people that are actually doing the job. Uh, so again, you know, this goes back to our uh, not previous, but the previous uh, live stream. Networking is very fundamental and we will have another live stream on that. Not, you know, uh, LinkedIn based, but, you know, other methods of networking. But networking is very critical in this case so that you can find people that are in the industry doing the job that you hope to, to get to do and asking them, you know, what 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 are what are their salary or like what do they see as a an appropriate salary for uh, the position you're applying for, whether it's entry level or maybe it's a, uh, you know, a mid to senior level position or even if it's a management position. Uh, the people that are doing the job right now are going to have the best idea for for what what to expect. So, yeah, you guys said some some magical words there. Um, I th I think you know, like the the salary range is. I mean, that answer in general is is if you don't know or you haven't been able to find out through research leading in to your interview with a certain company. Um, you know, that's probably the best answer to, to actually go with, um, the, when we're talking about salary compensation, I mean, and that's something that I find that hasn't been explained very well, um, at times with grads coming out of different institutions is it's not just about the bottom line dollar. It is actually these other things that go into it. Um, I know, um, with, you know, from our, our company as well. I mean, we actually go out to third party 
and to get assessed. Um, you mm -hmm. know, where do we, you know, like, where should we be, you know, like in our compensation, like, are we too low? Are we too high? Are we in the middle? You, you know, because, um, you know, that is like on the employer side, that actually is a big concern. And then is our compensation matching, you know, are we comfortable with our compensation? And that comes back to our cultural fit, as well as how we present ourselves publicly, as well as how we want our employees to also be comfortable and present themselves back out, you know, to the industry. So I think, a, and, and a lot of that comes down to also recognizing maybe what size or what type of industry or what vertical you're actually applying into, because this is when we're talking about specifically to cybersecurity, cybersecurity at, let's say, a governmental level is going to be different than a cybersecurity expert coming into, let's say, an SMB type scenario like mine, uh, where we do a lot of consulting at a certain level. Two different skill sets. You may still have the same title at the end of the day, but you know, there's a difference in compensation that, that's going to happen there. There's also a difference in... in um, in in requirements as well for those positions. So the research piece is is pretty big, I think, before you you know lead into you know especially on the compensation side. So if I can, sorry. yeah, please can go I ahead. The one thing that I throw out there is you know what's happening in Alberta, particularly, um, especially with the energy sector, is probably going to change compensation scales for a lot of. A lot of different roles because traditionally you know um, smaller organizations or organizations that weren't in the energy sector had to increase some of their compensation skills in order to compete with what the energy sector was offering and what's happening right now as unfortunate as it is is going to be lowering that and the competition is going to change and compensation is going to likely change as a result of it so that's also something that people should keep in mind um, gone are the days where you know you can expect these lofty bonuses and these you know really inflated salaries in these energy companies things are shifting and so having that awareness of what's happening in the economy is really important especially as a new grad because it shows that you're you're aware of what's happening in the world right now and in your province yeah i I know that it does not follow the canon of what an organization is expecting with that formal HR question, but I really think that the best answer and the accepted answer should be at this stage, I'm really just trying to impress upon you that I'm the right person for the job. And if you feel the same way, we'll have another conversation. I have said I that, like that. In, in one job um, that I applied for, the HR person didn't like it. It became a difficult oh. negotiation, but I ultimately got a much higher salary and I wasn't being difficult. I was literally saying, I don't care about the money. I want to find out if this is the right job for me. And I think you want to find out if I'm the right person for the job. So let's just go on with that. And I really wish th this salary question would just go away. And in the first I round, know, Warren. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Warren's asking, uh, what are the signs in interviews going well or not so well? Um, uh, does anyone want to tackle this? Well, uh, from an HR perspective, if oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. From an HR, from an HR perspective, if uh, if someone stops writing, that means you're rambling for the most part <laughs> because uh, you're not. They're not. So if they stop writing, it's because you're not giving them something worth to like worthwhile to write down. 
So kind of reset. And it's okay to say, you know what, I just want to take a minute and just quietly take a minute. One of the best tools in an interview is silence and giving giving the candidate the opportunity to kind of reset. So so that's certainly something that I would I would keep your eye on. That is such a good answer. Very, very good advice. I find that uh, uh, interviews I have thought were going well actually uh, end up taking a little bit longer and you actually start talking about other things outside of uh, the the interview. But again, when I was interviewing uh, for over 11 years, um, it was more about fit. So it's like, oh, the technical skills and stuff, hopefully you'll pick those up and, and learn that stuff. But it was more about... Um, just talk and get to know somebody because you're going to be working literally with that person next door to you. Um, you want to make sure that uh, you fit in. It, it's, I, I think it's so true that um, you know, the interview is going well, if it's becoming very conversational and my experience has been, it'll usually be, you'll connect with one person at usually you're, you're interviewing with two, maybe three people. Um, yeah. And, Quite often you'll connect with one of those. Yeah. It's important to know who at that table that you're interviewing with um, is the main decision maker. So when you go into an interview, you want to find out, and if they don't tell you, ask right before anything starts, who everybody is and what their role is. Because inevitably in a large organization, you're going to get... Um, uh, you're going to get somebody who is from HR. Um, so like IT's business partner in HR, someone like that, or maybe an internal recruiter. You're going to get um, the, the hiring manager. So like who's really going to be your boss and maybe either their boss or another person from the team. Um, I've actually had an interview that I thought was going really great because I was literally talking and having a great time with the HR person. <laughs> and did not really impress the people who were, <laughs> so the HR person just loved my stories about the projects I was proud of and the scenarios and the soft skills <laughs> um, it's, it, it is important not to neglect anyone there because they all have a say but to know who it is and if it becomes conversational it's going great um the one thing I would offer is um, in when I've been in interviews, I'm not worried about if it's not going right because every question, okay, if I blow a question, that's fine. I've got more to go through. Um, so every question is another shot at shining and showing what I want to do. Um, so really every, at every point I'm trying to say, how do I present myself best? How do I figure out what they want? and and show the best side of me and so i'm not really like i could even go through an interview where at the first half of it i'm blowing it i'm sweating i'm not smiling no one's writing anything down i think i fumbled everything but if i nail the last three questions here you go slam dunk slam dunk yeah so okay well um so i guess uh yeah, no, we're, we're we're coming up here. Uh, I think just over time, we uh, we're, we're trying to allot this for ninety minutes. So, uh, I think uh, maybe we'll start wrapping it up. Uh, I know we could 
go on for for a lot longer than this. So I guess uh, what I'm going to ask is for all the, all of you who are watching or will be watching the replay of this, please put in the comments if you'd like to see more on this. We can invite our panelists back. We can do another live stream and you know answer as many questions as you have for us. Uh, I know there's uh, a bunch of other questions we had uh, just kind of uh, on the sideline there in case uh, we didn't have any questions from the uh, audience. So there are those questions that we can tackle as well. But anyways, uh, so I'm going to leave with this. Uh, you know, if you like this, please leave a comment. Please hit the like button so you can help others find this video. And of course, subscribe if you haven't already, because then you'll be helping Michael out in getting that customized uh, URL. So it's not just till I get 100 subscribers. YouTube gives and that, me a and we're getting 45 closer. character URL. Yeah, and we're, we're getting closer. So uh, and I'm going to say this much. Uh, I wanted to thank our panelists, uh, Derek and Jessica. Great to see you again. You guys are this is the first live stream where we've actually had repeat panelists come back. Jared, pleasure to meet you, my friend. Uh, I've heard nothing but great, uh, great things about you. So uh, very uh, happy that you took time out of your schedule to join us as well. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. So Jessica, there is something you wanted to plug before we went. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Um, so I, it, it was actually just a happenstance that I ended up having a meeting today with a, uh, one of the represents, representatives from the Calgary Career Hub. And this is an amazing resource. And I wasn't even aware of it, so I'm kind of embarrassed that I wasn't aware of it. But you guys, head on to their website. They offer free career counseling. Uh, everything from resume help to interviewing tips. So for example, if you have a big interview next week and you need help preparing for it, this is the place to go. They also have created sort of, if you scroll down a little bit, Mike, um, yeah, right there. So they've got sort of one-to-one -one coaching, which is great. They also have online workshops and then they also have sort of a self-service tool. The video that we just scrolled past up, uh, up a little bit higher, um, right there. Yeah. So it talks a little about all the services that they offer. And like I said, it's, it's a government funded, um, program. So it's completely free and it's amazing. I was so impressed to hear, um, all of the things that they were offering to job seekers they're really ramping up so they have a ton of new resources and i strongly recommend that you guys check it out you know bookmark it to your um to your browser calgarycareerhub.com if you're looking for free resources and career coaching thank you so much jessica any parting words jared you know what i'd say uh it, it, Going through the interview process is, is, you know, nobody, anybody that says they really enjoy it, it's, I would differ probably pretty strongly. But probably the biggest thing at the at the end of it all is take a deep breath, you know, be yourself, um, you know, and don't beat yourself up if it doesn't go quite the way that you thought it would, you know, that you were expecting it to go, right? So um, there's always the next one. And like you said, I mean, it's uh, use it as experience. It's all good experience. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and I'm going to leave everyone with this last thing. Uh, similar to Jessica's method, I'm a librarian. Calgary Public Library has got a lot of resources to help job hunters. Um, I'm not even going to go over each and every one of them, but go to their website. doesn't matter whether you're new in your job search, whether you're transitioning in a career or you're a professional. They've got something to help you. The most important thing that, that you can do from there
is you get free access to LinkedIn Learning. And on their site, it's called lynda.com. And if you have a public library card, which is free, you get lynda.com for free, which is LinkedIn Learning. And they have many excellent courses on job searching, updating your resume, writing cover letters, and interviewing the exact tips that Derek and I were talking about at the beginning of the show that helped us so much. Those are all available to you from Calgary Public Library. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. Uh, and we hope to see you next week.